You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. The date was June 23rd, 1963, and it was called the Walk of Freedom. 100,000 people, that's as many people would fit in the University of Michigan football stadium. 100,000 people marched down Woodward Avenue in downtown Detroit, all the way to Kobo Arena. And the march was led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When Dr. King got to Kobo Arena, the whole place was packed, filled to capacity. I want you to put yourself in that arena. Imagine the energy there, all the people just wanting to hear from Dr. King. And it's in this moment that he begins to share uh, this kind of the birth of I have a dream. Segregation is wrong because it is a system of adultery perpetuated by an illicit intercourse between injustice and immorality. As we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it's my hope that this wouldn't just be the place where that dream was birthed, but it's the place where it would continue to mature. You know, throughout scripture, the Lord honors people and and people honor God, honor is a huge theme. We see scripture call us to honor our parents, honor our leaders, honor our elders. And, and Paul in Romans says that we're to honor all people. And so often in scripture too, people from the past are honored. And that's what I wanna do today. I wanna honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is a great opportunity for us to reflect on a life well lived a life that was lived preaching a powerful message. In a real sense, we are through with segregation now, henceforth and forevermore. And so we honor Dr. King for what he stood against. He stood against racism. He stood against segregation. He stood against the dehumanizing of people. And as church, we stand against those things as well. But we honor Dr. King today for the things that he stood for as well. He stood for the message of the gospel, that all fall short of the glory of God, all of us sin, but out of the grace of God, he came as one of us in the form of Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross and he paid for our sins on that cross. And because of Jesus, we can all have freedom and fellowship with God. And that's what Dr. King stood for, this message of the gospel. But we also honor Dr. King for standing for the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is that this good news is for all people, that every person has worth and value, and every person has a purpose for being here on this planet, that we were created in the image of God. But Dr. King also stood not just for the message of the gospel, not just for the heart of the gospel, but for the strength of the gospel. And he truly believed that the, the strongest gospel representation was when we would come together, where we would reflect the glory of Jesus together, that actually we're stronger together. And so today we honor the man. We honor the man who boldly stood up and shared this message. We honor the man who, who lived it out and it cost him his life. But we also honor the message. And probably even more important, we honor the message. Not the man, but the message that came through the man, which is the dream of God, that we would all be one as, as Christ Jesus and the Father are one. 
And we wanna honor that, that this wouldn't be just the place where this dream was birthed by Dr. King, but this would be the place right here in the Detroit metro area and in the life of Kensington Church, where we would continue to mature and grow this dream, this dream to see the body of Christ come together, this dream where we could be one together, this dream where we would love God and love one another in the way that Jesus loved others. That's our hope. And so today we honor Dr. King, but more importantly, we honor his message by living it out. And so friends, my prayer for us is that we would turn to Jesus. Probably the best way that we can honor Dr. King is by turning to Jesus together because he's the one who brings freedom. Jesus is the one who brings healing. Jesus is the one who brings redemption and reconciliation. Jesus is the one who brings breakthrough. He's the one who can make a way for us. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You made it out. But this is nothing for you Michiganders, right? This is nothing. You all been telling me about this. I thought you were lying this whole time. I'm like, it's November, December. I'm like, these people don't know what they're talking about. It's January. It's like in the 30s. I'm out like getting a suntan, as you can clearly see. Right? It's like, what's these people talking about? And then all of a sudden, in one day, it's like the universe was just like, nope. It is winter right now. It's going to happen right now from 34 degrees to 7. And right now, why didn't any of you tell me your new senior pastor moving from Connecticut to buy a house with a generator? Nobody told me that. I hold it against all of you. <laughs> so anyway, my pipes, I'm sure they're fine while I'm preaching the good news of Jesus right now. I'm sure... My house is not flooding right now because of a good friend named Bill who went over there early this morning and plugged in a generator. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Wherever you are, you're the best. Anyway, I'm going to be buying a generator in the new, near future. I want to uh, share in this sermon series that we started last week called Seen, Fully Known, Fully Loved. Do you know that you have a God who sees you, who knows you, knows every hair on your head, who loves you, loves you. Maybe you come in today and, and no one's loving you or you feel unloved. I want to tell you that that's actually a lie. You are fully loved by the God who made you. He loves you. Loves you. It loves, loves you deeply. I want you to know that. And, and so today we're going to look at this story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And there are several lessons in this about how God sees us, but also how we're to see other people. And so I want to share the story. Uh, I'm not going to read it from Scripture, but I'm going to tell you the story. And then we're going to pause and pray in a moment. So out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, Jesus at this point has determined to get to Jerusalem. Now, in Luke's gospel, you're going to see Jesus making this long journey to Jerusalem, and he set it on his heart to get there. Why? Jesus is going to Jerusalem because he's going to go to the cross where he's going to die, and he's going to stay in our place, and he's going to take on our sin, and then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead because this is our inheritance in him as well, is that we will pass through death and have eternal life in him. And so this is what Jesus is doing. He's setting his heart on his, his mission for coming here, that he's going to go to the cross and defeat the work of the evil one and defeat 
our sin, to provide a way. So this is what he's doing. Now on his way, there's this religious leader. He's probably Jewish. And he comes and he's like, he asks Jesus these different questions. And he engages in a conversation with Jesus. And he starts off by saying, hey Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. And Jesus responds with a question. I love this. Jesus usually doesn't just give the answer. He gives another question. And so he asks, well, what does the law say? Now, this being a religious leader, he would have known exactly what the law says. In fact, the Jewish people would recite a prayer twice daily called the Shema. And in the Shema, you would say, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the religious leader's answer. This is what you need to do to inherit eternal life. When Jesus says, yeah, you got it right. Now, I want to pause here and just stop. Now, imagine, you know, how many of you like being right? Yeah. Doesn't it feel good when you're right? You know, it doesn't, never feels good when you're wrong. You can learn from it, and you should. But when you're right, it feels good. Now, I want you to put yourself in this position where you're asking Jesus Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? Well, what do you think? Well, I think you need to love God with all your heart. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. You're right. Oh, that must have felt good. Now this guy's kind of like, all right. Like, I got the right answer with Jesus. Like, I'm flying high at this point. Look at this. I know all the answers. But then the man says, you know what? Actually, I've got another question for you, Jesus. Well, if I need to love God with all my heart and all my soul and my mind, and I need to love my neighbors, myself, could you just be specific? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this story. He tells a story about this man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was about a 17-mile journey. This wasn't a casual walk. This was a hike and a very difficult one. Very rocky terrain, about 17 miles. He's probably going from Jerusalem to Jericho because as you know or might know, in Jerusalem was the temple. This is where they believed and, and really was the presence of God in the temple. And he was probably going there maybe for a festival or to worship. And now he's returning to Jericho. Another thing you need to know about this journey on this road, uh, it was prone to have robbers that would come and, 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 and do nasty things to people, beat them up, and rob from them. And this is exactly what happens. And so Jesus says there's this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beaten up by robbers, and he's left to die there. And then Jesus says, but, but a person comes by. It was a priest. Oh, a priest, this was like the highest rank in, 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 in Jewish religion. The, the priest comes, and, and of course you're thinking to yourself, well, this priest is going to help this man out, but, but the priest sees the man. It's not like he doesn't see him. He sees him, and he walks by. It, it's very possible that this priest was coming from Jerusalem as well, and had just been worshiping and just gone through cleansing rituals and things like this, and to touch a dying person or a dead person would make them ceremonially unclean, and then they'd have to go back and do all this kind of ritual, and they might be thinking to themselves, ah, you know what, there's nothing I can really do, I'm just going to keep moving on. So Jesus says, but then a Levite comes by. Now a Levite was a helper in the temple. Another high-ranking official in, in the Jewish religion. 
And, and again, you'd think, okay, maybe the Levite's going to help him. I mean, he's a helper in the temple. Why wouldn't he be a helper outside of the temple? That's actually a really good question. Why would we just be a helper in the house of God and not a helper outside of the house of God? And so the Levite, of course, the Levite's going to, to help, but no, the Levite sees the man again and, and decides not to and keeps going on. But then Jesus says, but there is a third person. This sounds like a joke, right? But there's no joke punchline coming, by the way. But he says, there's a third person that comes by. I would imagine at this point, the religious leader that was asking these questions was thinking, okay, what good Jewish person is Jesus going to tell me, help the man out? But Jesus says, a Samaritan came and helped the man out, saw the man, cared for the man, brought the man to an inn, paid for his expenses, returned to make sure that he was okay. A Samaritan man, a Samaritan. Now, there was mutual hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, and there was good reason why. There are lots of different reasons why. Let me just give you a little bit of the reason. You have to go way back before Jesus' time when Israel was split into two kingdoms, a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And at one point, uh, the, kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom was, was, was exiled into Assyria because Assyri the Assyrians took over uh, the Israel kingdom and, and, and brought them into Assyria. And at that time, some of the Jewish people began to intermarry with the Assyrians who were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. And so the Jewish people began to look at this and say, ah, they're, they're intermarrying. In one sense, they looked at them as half-breeds. And there was this anger and hostility towards one another. It got so bad that the Samaritans set up their own temple, and, and the Jewish people destroyed that temple. And the Samaritans went back and forth, back and forth. And there was this great hostility and anger and hatred towards one another. So when Jesus says to this Jewish religious leader, a Samaritan is the hero in this story. I'm sure this leader who was asking Jesus all these questions, he was just kind of, oh, he was just, his, his blood may have been boiling inside of him. What do you mean? How can this Samaritan be a hero in the story? What are you trying to teach me here? And then Jesus asks this question after he tells that whole story. He says, which was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And listen to the response of the religious leader. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Did you catch what he didn't say? He didn't say, oh, the Samaritan. It's like he couldn't even get it out of his mouth. He's like, oh, the, you know, like, mm, the one who had mercy on him. That's how much hostility was there. He couldn't even get it out of his mouth. And then Jesus says, yeah, you're right, again. Now go and do likewise. So many lessons so many lessons in this, and I want to share a few with them, a few of them with you. Before I do, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. We're going to collect uh, today's offering, and I just want to say a couple of things about that, and then I'm going to pray. The first is this. I want to thank you for your continued generosity. Um, it's so wonderful to, to be a part of what God is doing here. In the new year, what I'd like to challenge you to is this. If, if you call Kensington uh, your home church, maybe you're here for the first time, uh, this, you don't have to take me up on this challenge, although you can if you want. But if you call this place your home, uh, I want to encourage you and challenge you to regularly give. Here's why I say that. Becca and I and our family, we give regularly for a few different reasons. 
One of those reasons is every time that we give, and we give the, the first fruits, the first parts of our salary, we give that because we want to say to the Lord in an act of worship, everything is for you above all. Everything, starting with my finances, everything is for you. But the other reason that we give on a regular basis is because we really believe in this place and we believe what God is doing here and the extraordinary work that's happening here locally but also around the world. And it's able to happen because we give, quite frankly. And so I wanna encourage you and challenge you to pray about what regular giving would look like for you. Uh, We're not legalistic about it. Uh, It's not down to a number or anything like that, actually. We're called to examine our own hearts and to give cheerfully. So at the new year here, I want to encourage you, challenge you to do just that, to pray about it and then to, uh, and then to act on whatever God calls you to specifically. Let me pause and pray, and then I want to get into um, kind of three lessons from this passage. Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you do in our lives. We thank you that we get the chance to give a gift back to you. I always think about going to a birthday party and bringing a gift what a joy it is to be able to bring a gift, and you invite us to bring a gift to you. So Lord, we pray that our, our giving would honor you and bless you, and uh, we pray that it would be used to um, build your kingdom, that we'd steward it really well. And Lord, I pray for this message that you would just draw out things, that you would change us and form us through your word. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, three things I wanna share with you, and um, two of them are, are questions from this religious leader, and the third thing is a command from Jesus. And I believe each of these three kind of areas that we're gonna cover today um, really hit some of the most basic questions that every human being is asking on the planet. And so I believe that you're gonna be able to immediately uh, implement, uh, put this this teaching into practice, and I wanna encourage you to do that. I strongly believe that when we gather together, God is here. And so I'd also encourage you to just ask the Lord to speak to your heart, uh, to, to challenge you, and to, uh, to, to call you to big things as we go through this. But the first question that this religious leader asks is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I remember a while back, uh, we were invited to dinner with some friends, and we went, and, um, you know, it came to the end of the meal, and there was that whole, like, you know, that whole dance, like the check dance, you know, that check dance, where it's like, ah, let me get it, but you're kind of not stretching all the way kind of thing, right? You're like, ah, I'll get it, and my friend grabbed it quicker than me, right? And, um, and he's like, no, 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 we, we, we asked you to come out. We want to take care of this, and then I'm like, no, no, and I had my credit card here, right? but it was maxed out anyway, but anyway. So I'm just like, here, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like giving it, but I'm not giving it. I'm like, ah, here, how about this? You know, how about we split it? No, 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 this whole thing. And then finally, I was like, okay, listen, but next time, we'll get you, right? You've all done that before, right? You've all done that. Now, now I want you to, to, to imagine this, if you will. Imagine my friend said, hey, Brian, I want you to meet me in Miami and, and, and come right, right to the ocean, and I'm gonna meet you there. And then let's just say I did. I was like, okay, I'm going to Miami. It sounds kinda nice right now, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm going to Miami, and, and here I am, and I, I arrive, and I'm waiting for my friend, and my friend comes, he's like, hey, hey, Brian, I got you something. And then all of a sudden, like down the ocean comes this like $50 million yacht, right? And here it pulls in front of me, and he's like, hey, this is for you, Brian. Now, I want you to just remember, this is a fictional story, okay? <laughs> But it doesn't have to be, okay? No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, and, and then, so, so I'm standing there. What if, 
What if I said to my friend, hey, 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 let me, let me get this. Let me get this. No, no, let me, let me at least pay for half of it, right? You look at me, I hope you'd look at me and say, you are out of your mind, Brian. There's no way I can pay for that yacht. There's no way I can pay for half of it. I don't think I can pay for a percent of that. There's no way. No, 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 I can't now that I think about it and do the calculations. No, I can't. So why do we do this with God? Why do we play this game with God? We're like, ah, hey, 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 I, I see this gift that you're giving me of eternal life. What do I owe you? Well, hey, let, let, let me buy it. Let me, let me buy it, Lord. At least let me pay for half of it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's the thing. You can't do anything. You, you can't earn it. You can't pay for it. It's been paid for, for you. All you need to do now is receive it. This is what grace is, that you've been given a gift that you can't afford, that you can't purchase. Not just on good merits will you achieve it. This is the good news of Jesus, is that although we don't deserve it, although we didn't gain it on our own, he's given it to us. Praise God. Praise God. And I, I think Jesus actually answers this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life in the parable? Because as I was studying this parable and looking at it, I began to realize, wow, who's Jesus in this story? In one sense, you could look at this and say, wow, Jesus is the good Samaritan. He's found all of us in our own ditch. All of us without life. All of us gone our own, own way and our own situation and circumstance. And he sees us, he decides to stop, he pulls us up, he pays for us, he cares for us, he heals us, and he promises to return one day. This is the story. This is it. This is what Jesus has done for us. And this was a revolutionary thought for this religious leader. Because he was asking what he must do and Jesus was telling him everything that would be done for him, not what was required by him. And really, the question made no sense. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you don't really do anything to get an inheritance. To get your inheritance doesn't have anything to do with what you do or how you behave. It has more to do with who you're related to, who you belong to. And so if you want this inheritance, this eternal life inheritance, it's not about what you do. It's not about all the things you achieve. It's not about earning it. And if you've been told that, that person was wrong. Because grace is this, is that actually you can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift for you. You just need to receive it. And so today, I want you to know what Jesus has done for you. He's, he's seen us in that ditch. He's rescued us. He's shown us mercy. He's pulled us out of that ditch, and he walks with us, and he wants to walk with you. That's the first question. The second question that this religious leader asks is this. He asks, well, who is my neighbor? So first, he starts with, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you need to 
you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? I wonder when he asked that question if he broke the heart of Jesus. And here's why. Because did you notice he didn't ask anything about how to love the Lord his God with all of his heart? So don't you think Jesus would have been honored if this man started by saying, hey, 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 can you first tell me how to love the Lord more? Can you first tell me about how I can serve the Lord in a greater way? Could you first, could we start there? But instead he goes, listen, okay, I got that part down. Let's, just get, let's get to the practice of this whole thing. Who's my neighbor? Let's have that discussion. I need to know who my neighbor is. This was actually a common conversation that would take place in the Jewish culture where people would discuss and even debate Who's our neighbor? Are Gentiles who converted to Judaism, are they our neighbor? Are are Jews who are outside of our towns, are they our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? And so this man's asking this question, tell me who my neighbor is, and maybe really what he's asking is, who is not my neighbor? Because I don't wanna have to fully extend myself, you know? Just tell me the group that I, you know, need to behave nicely around, and then, and I'll do that. Who is not my neighbor. And I love what Jesus does in this story is he puts a face to it. And so he could have easily said, well, everyone is your neighbor. Now go. But I think Jesus knew that wasn't going to be enough for this man. And so he put a face to it. He gets specific. He doesn't just say, well, everybody. But he paints the picture. He puts a face to the neighbor. And Jesus picks maybe this man's biggest enemy the one he hated the most, and he used the Samaritan as the hero of the story. And in this, Jesus was saying, everyone is your neighbor. You're to show mercy and love to everyone. And isn't this the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel is this, is that God created each and every one of us in the image of God. All of us are image bearers of God. And therefore, every single person on this planet should be treated as such with value, with worth, that every person has a purpose on this planet. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you need to show mercy and compassion and kindness to all people. The question is not, who is not my neighbor? The answer is, everyone is your neighbor. Start showing every person mercy and grace. So my question in this is, who is your neighbor? And I don't want us to get away too easily by just saying, well, everyone. So let me try to put a face to it. That person who disagrees with you right now, think of them. That's your neighbor. That person who's caused hurt in you, that person's your neighbor. The person who thinks they're better than you, that's your neighbor. The person you think you're better than, that's your neighbor. The person who's hurting right now, that is your neighbor. The person who supports the other candidate, didn't think I'd go there that early in my senior pastorship, that's your neighbor. And if I've offended you, I'm your neighbor. (laughs) I'm your neighbor. The person who's against you, it's your neighbor. <laughs> I don't know if this one will work or not, but it's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test how much you're for Jesus or not. That person who's rooting for the Rams today, 
That's your neighbor. It's your neighbor. That guy who just said whatever he said, he's your neighbor too. I don't know what he said. He's your neighbor too. For those of you in, our, in the younger generation, millennials, Gen Z, one after that, <laughs> still being determined. What's that? Alpha, Omega. <laughs> younger generation. Those in the older generations who you think just don't get it, they're your neighbor. Those of us in the older generation who just don't understand some of those in the younger generation, they're our neighbor. This is not easy stuff, but we're called to live like Jesus. And when I see the person of Jesus and the life of Jesus, I see him constantly breaking down barriers and walls. I see him eating with those he disagreed with. The only people I see Jesus have a really hard time with are the really highly religious. But he makes time around his table for people he disagrees with. Sinful people. And he shows them mercy. Put face, a face to it. Who is your neighbor? The last statement I want to talk about is this. After Jesus tells the whole story of the good Samaritan, and he asks this question of the man. He says, which was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the man answers, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says this, go and do likewise. This is his command. So really, there's no option on this one. Jesus is saying, this is how you are to live. Go and do likewise. Now, now, listen, Jesus wasn't really answering the man's original question. Did you catch that? The man asked, who is my neighbor? And I love it. Jesus is like, okay, I see your question. <laughs> I acknowledge the who, but I'm going to answer the how. I'm going to answer how you should be a neighbor. I love that. I'm going to enter that into my parenting more often. I see your question, but I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to tell you something much more valuable, right? Papa, can I go to the prom with some blah, 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 blah? Uh-huh. Let me tell you what a real man is, okay? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to tell you something of more value, right? Hey, Papa, I need some gas money. Okay, that's great. I see your question. I acknowledge your question. But I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be a, a strong woman of God in society <laughs> with a job or two, okay, right? <laughs> Actually, my oldest has a job. She's probably watching this right now. I have a job. Anyway, so, so I love how Jesus does He's like, I see your question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually answer something that's more important. I know that you want to know the who, and really this man's who was all about him, I think. Who's my neighbor? So I can know who to treat well, who not to treat well, you know, know all these different things. Who, who, who? And she's like, okay, okay, okay. Your who's about you, I'm going to talk about the how. I think actually today in our Christian walks, we need to ask more how questions. I think a lot of times we're really good at asking who questions. Oh, who's going to get that position? Uh, who's going to be our leader? Or, or who's, who's doing this? Or who, 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 who? But, but sometimes we fail to get to the how. You want real life transformation in life, you take the who questions and you move them into how questions. Who, Jesus, do you want me to share my faith with? How? How? This becomes life transformation. How? How? Lord, teach me how to pray. Lord, teach me how to love. Teach me how to serve. Teach me how to hear your voice. Teach me how to give 
so I can be a generous person? These are the questions that, that get into the meat of Christianity and help us learn and, and grow and mature. But then Jesus, he, he gives this clear directive, right? Go and do likewise. Go and do what? Go and act merciful. Go and show mercy. Go and love mercy. Go and, and, and bring kindness and compassion into our world. So, so how do we practice mercy? If we're really, really to live this out, go and do likewise, what does it look like, practically speaking? And I think there's an answer in this passage. There's a, a key. There's, this, there's a secret to living merciful lives in this passage that I want to pull out. And it's very practical. When you look at the Samaritan in this story, you see three things that the Samaritan does that really defines showing mercy. The first thing that the Samaritan does is he sees the man on the road. He sees the man on the road. Now, the priest and the Levite also saw the man on the road, and they saw him, but then they kept going on. Uh, the good Samaritan did something different. He, he saw the man, and then he did something about it. So I believe that this Samaritan, he's practicing mercy because he's actually looking through the lens of God at this person and saying, is there anything of worth and value in this person? And when he does that, he's able to see, wow, this is a person of value, a person that is worthwhile, and therefore I'm going to do something about it. And so he was seeing through the lens of God. I want to ask you in this moment, how are you seeing people? How, how do you see them? Because it's very easy for us to see people and have our own determinations, our own judgments about them. But what God is asking us to do is to see people in the way that he sees them. And this is the first part of the progression that he first saw the man. But then he felt for the man. The pastor tells us he, he felt this, this empathy. And it wasn't just this, oh, I feel badly for this man. It was, I, I literally can feel what it must be like to be him. And, and out of this, this great feeling of compassion and empathy, it moved him into the third part of, of, of mercy and compassion. The third part of the progression is this, is that he moved. He moved. It's actually not mercy or compassion until it compels us to do something about it. It's just feeling badly. But that, that critical step of moving from seeing to feeling to moving, now, now, compassion and mercy, you've given him legs. He moves. He moves. He doesn't leave him in the condition. He, he picks him up and he carries him, puts him on his donkey, walks miles, pays for him, returns to make sure that he's doing well. The Samaritan moved. After seeing and feeling comes this critical moment, this decision moment of will we do something about it? This is the question of will this be about me or will this be about mercy? And we have this moment where we see and we feel where we can choose, okay, is this going to be about me? This is going to disturb my day? Or is this going to be about mercy? And this Samaritan man chose mercy. Friends, being merciful and compassionate is more than just doing good and being kind. Because when we learn to be merciful and compassionate, what we're learning is we're learning how to see what God sees. Feel what God feels. And act in the way God calls us to act. 
When this happens, we get to partner with God. Let me just share a few things about mercy because I want us to have the right idea about mercy. I don't want you to go away here thinking, oh, this Christian thing's easy because <laughs> mercy's difficult, but it leads to great things. The first thing I want to share from this passage about mercy is this, is that mercy will cost you. Notice the Samaritan, he bandaged his wounds, placed him on his donkey, interrupted his plans, took time to walk with him and, and help him, brought him to an inn, paid for his expenses. To show mercy means to love even when it costs us. The second thing I notice about mercy in this is that mercy does not discriminate. The Samaritan had been treated poorly by people like this, treated like animals in one sense, yet the Samaritan chooses to do good to this person. I'm sure there was this mo moment where the Samaritan could have pulled out a list and said, listen, you, have, you and your people have done all these things to us. You know what? You're disqualified from my help. But instead, he says, no, no, no. My hatred, our past, our history, it doesn't discriminate against you. Mercy helps those in need. The next thing I learned about mercy from this good Samaritan is that mercy acts without judgment. One of the things that Jesus says so specifically in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he says this, do not judge. It's pretty straightforward, right? I love Jesus. He's, he's, he's oftentimes just so straightforward. Notice that the Samaritan doesn't go up and go, hmm, hmm, how'd you get yourself in this situation? Is it because of, um, you know, you, did, you, did you rob from them first? It, what, what's the deal? I, I'm guessing you're there because you deserve to be there. What is it? What got you here? He, he doesn't do that. He's compelled to help the man. And even if that man was guilty, mercy pulls him up. Mercy pulls him up. Two more things I learned. Mercy requires margin. Look at the Good Samaritan. He stopped. He bandaged the man up. He slowed down his journey. He had margin in his finances to pay for him. He planned to return. I'm guessing maybe he stopped some of his meetings, some of his life in order to do this. And all of this took margin in his life. This really convicted me. Where's the margin in my life so that I can show mercy to those around me? And then finally, what I see in this passage and throughout scripture is that mercy leads to joy. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, again, Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful. Blessed. Another way to say blessed is the most happy, <laughs> the most fulfilled life is found when you are merciful. Why? Here's why. Because when you choose to act merciful to others, it leads to seeing the power of God. When we treat people the way God sees them and wants them to be treated, he, he provides in those moments, he heals, he partners with us. Our choice to act with mercy is like shooting off a flare gun into heaven, setting off and signaling the power of God to come and intervene. And this is what the Lord is looking for, a merciful and compassionate people to partner with him. And I'll just say this, is that we learn mercy because we've been shown mercy. We've been shown grace. We've been shown compassion by Jesus Christ.
I love how Jesus never asks us to do something he's unwilling to do. He went to the cross for us. He died for us. He rose from the dead for us. He's returning for us. He's shown us mercy, kindness, compassion. And this is why today we come to the Lord's table. We come and we remember what Jesus has done. That the one who has shown mercy is calling us to be merciful towards others. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.